Anytime you play Sia from now on, it reminds me of back in December, we were doing a contest and our, fa- our, our buddy Pete called in and it was a Michael Jackson song. And we thought he was always going to get it. And he went, it's Sia. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell this story. I, obviously, if I wake up to a song, I sing it over and over again out loud. And our refrigerator here at this station I was is downstairs. So I was taking my salad that I made this morning and putting it in the refrigerator. And Mac from the Mac and T-Bone show likes to hide out in the little cubicles down there. And so I'm like skipping down the stairs. I'm like, I bought that proof. And I was singing. I mean, top of my lungs singing thought I was alone not alone and Max started dying laughing and was like um you're just living your best life aren't you (laughs) (laughs) and I looked at him and I said yes yes I am but you've been here long enough that like in a if you took any random office in the Charlotte area, people listen to the station and you, you recreated that scene, people would be like, what is going on? Around this place? Or was like, yeah, that's just Beth. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what she does. The best was when she was walking through the hallways humming Kenny G without <laughs> lyrics, because there are no lyrics. <laughs> just walking through the <laughs> Did Mac talk in his loud voice, or was he? Yeah, he's always in his loud voice. He doesn't have volume control. He's like that Will Ferrell character from SNL. Like, I have voice modulation disorder. (laughs) In all the best ways. He does. In all the best ways. But I was not expecting to see him as I was coming around the corner to go to the refrigerator. Uh, But, you know, you got to own it. You just got to own it in life. And speaking of the... Actually, I wasn't really... I guess we are speaking of the song uh, of the day because here it is. Um, I want to read a message that we got from Dan. Dan wrote us yesterday, and this just made my day, and it kind of has to do with the morning song, but he said, Beth, I have an Apple Music subscription. I have a Sirius XM subscription. I can listen to anything at any time, yet here I am every morning listening to you guys, and I was out of sorts all day last Friday because there was no wake-up song. <laughs> I'm glad we got two on Monday. You guys didn't do it from the uh, the barbecue? We had a little technical problem. But I uh, I keep receipts, and I was like, oh, we're going to have to double down the next day, and we did. And there you go. And Somebody you was go. waiting for it. And I love Dan for taking the time to send the message to tell us that, because you never know. You know, this is just the random stuff that lives in my head, and I love that it then lives in his head, because he said yesterday he walked around his office singing Around the World in 80 Days. <laughs> Which was yesterday's song, and he said his co-workers were so tired of him. So this is the song in the early hour of the show. If I fast forward to 7 a.m., I'm going to switch it up a little bit. How about a little of this? I heard rumblings of this last week, but I haven't been able to say anything about it yet until it got confirmed. But today in the 7 o'clock hour and again tomorrow, Bob Dylan tickets we have to give away. What? Bob Dylan, the Rough and Rowdy Ways Tour, is coming to the Belk Theater Sunday, March 17th. So this is not too far away. March 17th of 2024. I know we've given a lot of tickets away in uh, recent months that have, you know are... At the time, we're like a year away. This yeah. is pretty close. Bob Dylan. And so uh, we're going to do we're gonna do what we do. And can I share a little inside baseball? Bo and I spent 45 minutes on the phone yesterday coming up with um, Bob's. You know. Is that what it's going to be, Bob's? <laughs> well, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to say. I, 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 I buried the lead there. 
We're going to do what we do. Is it Name That? It's Name That Bob, Bob? or Name That Dylan. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, not a whole lot of Dylans, yeah. but I got a few, but it's Name That Bob or Dylan for Bob Dylan tickets. I mean, I giggled. I giggled out loud as I was coming up with random Bobs. It was it was fun. It's fun. It is fun coming up with these contests. And Bo and I, I mean, it's not like our bosses come to us and give us rules or guidelines. <laughs> so we just do it. They just sit in their office and brace their, uh, themselves. They're just holding on for dear life, white knuckle in it, waiting for us to figure out what we're going to do. So just to clarify, is it Bob's? Can it be Bobby's and Robert's? Yes. Or is it Bob's? Yes. All yes. that? Can, a- any form of Bob. Because, okay. you know, we, we've, uh, we've, we've, like when we did, um, I'm trying to think of, well, I don't want to give away one of the ones I chose, yeah, but it's not a, it's not your average Bob, right? In my in my initial list. Yes, I know. I I think I know which one. Yeah. Which one you're you're referring to? Although you didn't give me this one. Oh, I didn't give you no. this one. I know the one you're thinking of, and I used that one, but I got another one that's going to make you laugh. <laughs> but you know, while I'm doing this, why don't I just make all kinds of announcements here? Because this is going to be the next few days, and then next week, next week we have more tickets to give away. Oh, yeah. Name that Doobie? The Doobie Brothers. And listen to what we're going to do for the Doobie Brothers. Next week. You don't know this yet, Zoki. I told John Moore this. But each of you are going to submit to me your top five favorite Yacht Rock songs. And you can take shots at me indirectly if you want. And we know what that means. But I no, want we'll, your, we'll keep it light. Your, your top five Yacht Rock songs. And then we're going to do Whose Yacht Is This Song Playing On? From this room. Is it Beth's, mine, Zoki's, John Moore's, or Bernie's? How about that? Who's wearing loafers and drinking a martini (laughs) on a yacht? Whose yacht is playing this song? That's next week for Doobie Brothers tickets. It's not loafers. You don't wear loafers on that. What is it? Is it moccasins? What are uh, they called? Dockside. Boat shoes. Boat shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Or flip flops. (laughs) Loafers. I'm wearing loafers. Or or no shoes. I'd be barefoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I think uh, H.A. Thompson might wear those shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Loafers. News Talk 1110 WBT. That's a lot of announcements in a in a Man. Beth Song of the Day segment. Well, come on, guys. And also, you know what? That Titanium song, that probably could be like Nikki Haley's theme song at this oh, point. I like how you did that. <laughs> See? Like Segway there. See? We'll talk about Nikki Haley, and uh, she's still in the race. A lot of people are surprised because of the margin last night. We'll hear from Trump and Haley and Biden and everything that happened the morning after the New Hampshire primary. We'll also hear from Mick Mulvaney today and, of course, former Governor Pat McCrory. Lots of reaction, as you would expect, on Good Morning BT the day after the primary. Right now, traffic. Here's Boomer Von Cannon. Wow, Bob Dylan tickets on WBT. How about that? The times, they are a-changing. Are you so excited? <laughs> Next week, LL Cool J. Yes, right. <laughs> hey, that's a great dude. We need to bring him in here someday. He's and great. Drake. <laughs> <laughs> 6.20 on WBT. Bo and Beth here. We'll talk to Mick Mulvaney later in the show, about 8.35. Former Governor Pat McCrory, of course, on Wednesdays. I know he has a lot to say about all that happened last night. Uh, he had a tweet about no labels. I'll read you in a moment. But the big story last night, Trump versus Haley. And the question going in, Beth Troutman, was would Haley get close enough to stay in the race? Now, given what we thought close enough meant yesterday... No. She lost by 11% last night, but she's staying in the race. Yeah. And you know what? I, I will say, and Brett Winterbull and I were talking about this on his show last night when we were crossing the streams. I'm glad 
because I don't want the process to be over this fast. I mean, this is one of the things that we really enjoy about our political process and the fact that only a few thousand, you know, voters might potentially be choosing the candidate, this at least keeps the process going for a while. So here is President Trump uh, after winning 54 to 43 percent last night. It's what he had to say to supporters in New Hampshire. Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now, three. three. We win it every time. We win the primary. We win the Generals, we've won it, and it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. If you remember, in 2016, we came here, and we needed that win, and we won by 21 points, and it was great. And uh, today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely <laughs> when it was at 7. But now I just walked up, and it's at 14. She ran up when it was seven. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up, and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know, last, last week, we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. <laughs> And I looked around, I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. And then I looked at the polls. She was talking about most winnability, who's going to win. And I had one put up. I don't know if you see it, but I have one put up. We've won almost every single poll in the last three months against Crooked Joe Biden. Almost every poll. And she doesn't win those polls. And she doesn't win those. This is not your typical victory speech, but let's not have somebody Take a victory when she had a very bad night. She had a very bad night. So that's a bit of Trump last night, and I, I don't think that's the speech he intended to make. I think if you can tell by his tone, I think he intended on uh, basically proclaiming that it's over and not having anybody else in the race. And I, I guess he expected that Nikki was going to get out, and uh, she did not. So uh, the tone of his speech was more, okay, why is she still in the race? She didn't win. Well, and again, I'm going to say I'm glad that she is still there because there's still a fight. And she has always played her election cycles, whether she was running for uh, state house in South Carolina or governor. She runs things slow and steady. She, she's kind of the tortoise in the hare. She's the, the, the politics version of the tortoise in the hare. But one of the things that Trump said there, he, he does, he has been beating Biden in uh, polls narrowly. Now, but he misspoke in saying that Haley doesn't because in the polls that places like CBS, NBC have done, Haley actually beats Biden more easily than Donald Trump. So he misspoke in, in saying that because she does, in fact, um, easily beat Biden by double digits in most of the polls that show a head-to-head -head race between her and the current president of the United States. So let's hear from Nikki Haley. This is what she had to say very early in the process last night. Now, it was called early, uh, but at that point in time, you didn't know exactly what the percentage was going to be. And of course, the, the, the question all day long was, how close would it be? In the end, 11 uh, percent. At this point in time, it was closer than that. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it. And I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. It's not over. 
Well, I have news for all of them. Woo! New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. And so that's going to be the interesting thing now is that she's going back to South Carolina where she was the governor, but we know that the uh, the current governor was uh, on stage for Trump the other night, and the numbers right now in South Carolina don't indicate that she's going to win her home state. Right, and that's going to be an interesting conversation for her to have to have um, post the South Carolina primary. But um, she is masterful at uh, controlling a narrative, you know, trying to have conversations about the things that um, people are coming at her with. Now, the one thing I do want to point out is, do you notice just the difference in the tone of those two speeches? You know, she came out and she congratulated Donald Trump, and then she kept maintaining positivity about the the process moving forward. And Donald Trump's tone is very different. You know, he came out and, and took shots at her and, you know, talked about her dress, you know, saying it was a fancy dress, but it probably wasn't that fancy. And those are the things, those are the two juxtapositions. Those are the opposing views of this campaign cycle of those two Republican candidates. It's, um, you know, Donald Trump, we know his style. We know that that's how he, he approaches things. We know that he goes... Um, low and takes low shots at people. And and then you have an alternative in Nikki Haley in a different kind of approach. And so I think if she stays in the race, that may end up impacting voters. Maybe some of the the really big Trump fans that don't think that they have to get out in the primary because Trump is so ahead, like maybe she does inspire a whole different group of, of people who want, as she has campaigned, that less drama, you know, and she's even showcasing that in just the way that her speech was, just the tone of her speech versus his speech. Although and, she did call him a senile old man, pretty much. <laughs> well, and I, I don't think I don't think Trump intended on giving the speech he gave last night. I thought he was he th- he thought I believe he thought he was going to be talking about about the the whole thing wrapping up and and Haley getting out because of the margin. Yeah, I think he was surprised that she, and she said it in her speech, she's scrappy. When we come back, (laughs) Joe Biden yesterday, uh, you may not have noticed this, but uh, his official campaign got off the ground yesterday with their first rally of 2024. And won by write-in. Well, yeah, but but he, he had a speech in Virginia. Oh, yes, he had a speech launched, in Virginia, but yeah. one in New Hampshire with a write-in. Yeah, we'll talk about that, too. Much more to come on the New Hampshire primaries, and then where do we go from here? Just heard there the mention about Bob Dylan coming to Charlotte. We have tickets starting today. Name that Bob or Dylan. I'm so excited about this. Coming up next hour. 704-570-1110. Today, a pair of tickets. He's going to be playing at the Belt Theater. You know, I just heard that promo and it said, show will start promptly at 8, 8 p.m. I don't ever recall hearing a concert promo where it talked about, well, it will start at 8 p.m. Well, it's been a headline recently that Madonna. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. She was like two and a half hours late to a concert. It also makes me wonder if anybody's opening for Bob Dylan. 
it makes me believe that maybe not, or that the uh, that Bob Dylan likes his opening act so much that he wants everybody to he see wants that person. You, he doesn't want you to be late. He doesn't want you to not <laughs> see them. He also wants you to have plenty of time to get nachos and a beer. At the uh, at the Belk Theater, the Rough and Rowdy Ways Tour. So. Oh, you probably can't get nachos and a beer at the Belk. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't ever remember, but no, I'm, you could get a beer, but not no, nachos. I mean, I've gotten a beer there, I think. Yeah, you can. You know who I've seen there? I've seen Larry Buckhorn there. You saw Larry Buckhorn at the Belk Theater. I've seen Larry Buckhorn so many places, but Aww. but that's uh, that's aside the point right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, we heard from Trump. We heard from Haley after yes. last night's uh, New Hampshire primary. Now, I don't know, uh, once they crunch the numbers uh, in the long annals of write-in campaigns where this one stacks yesterday. But, you know, technically, Biden wasn't on the ballot yesterday. Right. And it was because the Democrats wanted South Carolina to be the first primary. And the Republican-controlled House in New Hampshire was like, nope, <laughs> that's not happening. We're still making this the primary. Sorry, Biden, you're not going to be on the ballot. So Biden got 66,544 right in Votes. Write-in votes. You know, the Waniac once wrote me in for president, so I've gotten one write-in vote, but I did not get 66,000. Should we check and see if Beth got any votes in New Hampshire last night? <laughs> I um, want somebody to call me and tell me that they wrote me <laughs> in New Hampshire. So Biden wins, and uh, Biden actually uh, held a rally yesterday. This would be the first official rally of his uh, re-election campaign for 2024. This was in Virginia, not New Hampshire. But uh, he was joined by uh, all of his team. Uh, Kamala Harris spoke yesterday. Uh, his his wife, uh, Dr. Jill Biden, spoke yesterday. And here is some of what Biden, the president, had to say. And let's remember, it was Donald Trump and his Supreme Court who ripped away the rights and freedoms of women in America. And it'll be Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and all of you who are going to restore those rights for the women in America. Donald Trump is betting we won't, you won't vote on this issue. But guess what? <laughs> He's betting we won't hold him responsible either for taking away the rights. He's betting you're going to stop caring. We have daughters. By the way, that you'll get distracted and discouraged and stay home. Well, guess what? I'm betting he's wrong. I'm betting you're the one won't forget. I'm betting you won't stop caring. <laughs> that you won't get distracted. And I'm betting, come November, we will vote on a record numbers. And when we do that, we'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. Look. Let me close with this. I believe 2024 is going to be the most important election we've had since 1864. I mean it. So that's, uh, that's Biden after winning via write-in in New Hampshire. You're wondering who else or who was officially on the ballot. Dean Phillips, of course, uh, was on the ballot. He uh, finished a distant 19.8%. And then Marianne Williamson, remember her? Oh, I forgot about Marianne Williamson. She got 4.7 of the vote. But when you when you add uh, Joe Biden's write-in vote, 62.8%. So uh, just as a political observer, I, like I said, I wonder where that stacks up in the history of write-in campaigns. Yes, because write-in campaigns have traditionally not been very successful. And the fact that they were able to bring out that many voters. And don't forget, we talked about this yesterday with Teresa Payton. There was the robocall mm -hmm. yesterday that a lot of Democratic voters received saying, hey, 
hey, don't go out. Don't vote. And it, it was done in AI in um, Joe Biden's voice. And uh, apparently people wanted to go out and show support. And I have to I have to say that in that speech that he made in Virginia yesterday, he sounded more energetic than we've heard him sound in a while. I mean, we heard him stumble over some some words, certainly, but he sounded like he had more energy than I've heard in some of his um, addresses in recent months. Uh, so that, you know, may make Democratic voters feel a little bit a little bit more confident and when we did our uh, election coverage in uh, 2022 in the the midterm votes i suggested that the 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 Roe versus Wade Dobbs decision issue was going to play a big role in that election cycle. And it ended up playing a big role in that election cycle, I think. And I don't I don't think that he's wrong that women will show up to vote and not because they are pro-abortion. I think that's a misnomer. Um, I think it's because women consider it pro-choice because they're concerned if they have any problems during their pregnancy that they might need some kind of emergency medical health care that is denied them in places like we saw the uh, the lawsuit that happened in Texas and and the Texas Supreme Court ruled that or the Texas courts ruled that 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 doctors didn't have to perform emergency abortions even if the woman's life was in in danger and I think that that matters to women even if they are pro-life I think it matters to them that they are they have access when needed. And so I think that that's a different conversation about that issue that that isn't necessarily vocalized enough. Well, if you uh, are to take any anything away from that speech yesterday, uh, he devoted a lot of time to that topic. So if, if, if his opening salvo, if his opening speech uh, for 2024 is any indication, uh, he's planning on making it a big issue. So uh, something to watch there. 643 on WBT. We've kind of done the cross-section here as we try to do uh, after any election. Uh, you've heard from Trump. You've heard from Nikki Haley. Now we've heard from Biden yesterday. And uh, on we go to the next round and uh, the, the next consequential. And I say consequential because... Nevada's got caucuses and primaries, uh, but there's no real intrigue to, to those. Uh, and, and the one that's next is South Carolina, and uh, that one is coming up soon. So, uh, like I said, on we go. We'll talk to more people throughout the morning to get reaction on what happened in the first in the nation primary last night. Trump wins big, and Haley stays in the race. WBT, where business talks, presented by Ram Pavement. Good morning. We're 10 in front of 7 o'clock here on WBT. Don't forget... Just past the top of the hour, we're bringing back the contest that's sweeping the nation. Name that Bob or Dylan for Bob Dylan tickets. Got a pair to give away today. I can't wait for all of you to compete, and I can't wait to find out who the winners are. Not now, not now, but uh, keep this number handy for about 10 minutes. 704-570-1110. Right now, let's check the market close on your Tuesday. Wall Street ending the day mixed as the Dow eased off a record high set Monday and fell below the 38,000 mark. Meantime, the S&P 500 continued into record territory. The Dow fell on the day 96 points. The Nasdaq gained 66. The S&P added 14. Wall Street is absorbing a slew of earnings reports. Procter & Gamble says better pricing is the key to high revenue. And Johnson & Johnson said adjusted earnings per share came in a penny ahead of expectations. 
options. And speaking of J&J, the company has tentatively agreed to pay about $7 million to settle claims over how J&J marketed its talcum-based baby powder. The company has faced claims its powder causes cancer. J&J has denied that. Tom Graham, Fox News. Pre-markets this morning, everything is in the green. Dow futures up 88, S&P futures up 21, NASDAQ futures up 117. Wednesday, January 24th, and I've still never eaten at an In-N-Out burger. This is another show we need to take on the road to an In-N-Out burger location anywhere, anywhere. Let's go to Las Vegas. Let's go to the one right outside of the airport in Los Angeles. Let's go to the one in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't care, but you're going to have to eat an In-N-Out burger at some point. I'm standing (laughs) on the doorstep of a half century, and I've never had this. Like some people are like, you have not lived yet, Bo. I might be one of those people. I, when I lived out west, because I lived in Los Angeles and I lived in Phoenix, I did spend a lot of time in the In-N-Out drive-through. Now, In-N-Out is uh, kind of remarkable and, and unique in that it has been around for 75 years and it has stayed family-owned. It is not a big corporate entity. It is a family-owned business, although there are locations all over the West Coast. I don't know if you remember about a year ago, people went nuts because they're opening up an office in Tennessee. It's not a location. It's not where you can actually drive through and get the burgers, but a lot of people think it's a fact-finding thing. Can we start opening yeah. In-N-Out Burgers on it's, the East Coast? It's the seed that right. eventually will lead to the plant that would be the restaurant that would be in this region of the country. And I will tell you, so let me describe their burgers. You go to their drive through They only serve burgers and fries and milkshakes. That's it. They don't have chicken sandwiches. They don't have onion rings. It is just the burger, the fries, the shakes. And their fries, you watch them cut the potatoes. They have this thing that looks like a... I, I don't know, a, like a, an old-timey orange juicer, but it slices the <laughs> potatoes. So you get potatoes kind of with a little bit of the skin on them, and they're super salted. And they serve you everything in a box that you just put on your lap so that you can eat in the car without necessarily spilling it all over yourself. But you can eat in the restaurant, too. And it has this special sauce that's similar to, like, the Big Mac sauce and pickles and onions and tomatoes and lettuce. Um, but you can get them with ketchup and mustard if you want. You can get them animal stuff. Which is like the the great thing on their menu that has like grilled onions instead of raw onions, and they have melty cheese, and the double double is Wait, the thing. Why is it called animal style? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it's kind of like the the secret thing on their menu. I thought it meant like they, they don't give you any, but you don't need utensils for this food anyway. But I'm thinking like, no. what does that mean? You gotta you gotta eat like an animal would eat it. Well, I would. I well, mean, it's that good. Can't it use is, your hands. <laughs> it's, it's that good. I I and they grill their buns so that the edge of the bun. Is is a little bit crispy. Um, God, my mouth is watering just thinking well, about it. Well, I mean, it. how many things have we talked about that you like? Like yesterday, you're trying to convince me to use lip balm. I'm not. I, I don't use lip balm. You would not. No convincing needed for this. You know, this is my. This is right up my alley. Oh. Except that it's not. It's not in an alley near me. Right. It's not anywhere close to us. And get this. You know, I, I just said that that In and Out Burger has been around for 75 years. It is a family owned business. Now, here's why we are talking about this. You may have seen this news story pop up for the first time ever, ever 
In-N-Out is closing one of its stores. And you might be thinking, why, why? There's no way that In-N-Out isn't successful. And it's incredibly true. There's no way that In-N-Out isn't successful. And this has nothing to do with the fact that they're losing money because of sales. They are closing their their only location in Oakland, California. It's right near the Oakland airport. And here's why. It's because of ongoing issues with crime, according to the In-N-Out company. They said this on Tuesday. While several locations have been relocated in the past, the company has never closed a location in its 75-year history. The CEO says, we feel the frequency and severity of the crimes being encountered by our customers and our associates leave us with no alternative. I'll say this. That's happening on the West Coast, and I know that the, the crime situation in that area of the country is unbelievable, as it is in other places. But um, it, it made me think of this. I was in Target the other day. Yeah. I was in Target to buy underwear. And boxer the underwear, shorts. yes, boxer shorts. It was locked up. Underwear? Yes. Like, I understand, like, uh, I mean, look. I just squeaked that out because I, well, no. I didn't mean to. I was so surprised. But we've heard the stories about they lock up, you know, electronics equipment. You know, anything that Apple makes, they put behind glass now. And but and you have, even when you go buy printing ink, like stuff like that. But underwear is locked up now because they're afraid people are going to run off with it. That's where we are now. It's, it is, it's starting to get to the point where y- you go to places like that, and, and I think twice before shopping there now because I know that if I whatever I want, it took me 15, 20 minutes to find somebody because, you know, you press a little. You didn't think I was going to go here, did you? You, st- you struck a nerve. But I, I walked in, and I thought I was going to, you know, go in and buy a, a, a bag of or a packet of boxer shorts in about five minutes. Right. And I walked in, and I hit, had to hit a little button that would tell somebody to come help me. And nobody ever came, so I had to go searching for somebody, which took me forever, all to buy. So pretty much anything now, they have to lock it up, and I it makes can't. the shopping experience frustrating. That's the thing. Like, here's, you know, I say this phrase sometimes, like, this is why we can't have nice things. A, a small group of people ruin it. <laughs> I don't want it. nice things. I want underwear. <laughs> you just want underwear. <laughs> but a small group of people, they ruin it for the rest of us and make the shopping experience miserable, to your point. And not being able to get an associate, that's also happening because they're they're cutting down the number of people who are actually working at the registers. Everything is self-checkout now. So, if, of course, if you have, if you're only employing a handful of people, how does that person get around to all of the stuff? that's locked up like the like trying to get a toothbrush trying to get my panties you know? <laughs> okay. have you ever tried to get help at a walmart well no mark i was uh. just saying that i was in target the other day to buy underwear yeah that's where the it panties was locked, thing came from. it was locked up superman so I, what i had underwear is locked up i was under ruse was locked in no i'm just kidding uh underwear <laughs> superman underwear was locked up and look beth i love the oh, self-checkout man. you know that i do I but do i know. gotta be able to get what i'm needing to check out with right and if there's no one to help you like you said you rang the bell you pressed the button and nobody was there i was this close to pressing the button i need some help with the underwear over here i wonder how fast that would have (laughs) oh that would have been good yeah radio host arrested for trying to steal underwear (laughs) trying to buy it he was trying to buy the underwear (laughs) i was trying to buy it that's the oh man anyway um you had no idea this was going to end here did you so yeah in and out closing due to uh (laughs) due to crime I love In-N-Out burgers, man. Yeah. Oh, oh man. me too, man. We all agree on that. And we all agree that you should be able to buy underwear easily. Thank yes. you. All right, ladies and gentlemen. 
The contest that's sweeping the nation. Name that Bob or Dylan. Although we only have a handful of Dylans. Not even a handful. I have three. (laughs) (laughs) We have a baby's handful of Dylans. (laughs) But it's name that Bob or Dylan for Bob Dylan concert tickets. All right, so you know how this works, 704-570-1110. When you call in, we'll ask you if you want a Bob or a Dylan. You tell us which one, and uh, you get to get two correct. That's always been the way we do this. And if you do get them correct, you will pick up a pair of tickets to see Bob Dylan. Yes, Bob Dylan in the Rough and Rowdy Waves Tour, Sunday, March 17th at the Belk Theater. If you get it wrong, then that one stays on the board and goes to the next person. And we have to point out that are all versions of Bob. So we have some Bobs, some Roberts, Bobbies. Yeah, Bob doesn't have to fall first. Right. All right? Right. Should we make everyone call it in this voice to try to win the tickets, Bo? (laughs) And they should play the harmonica. (laughs) All right. 704-570-1110. We have three pairs of tickets to give away. And we'll start today here with name that Bob or Dylan. Let's go to Ronnie. Ronnie is on line one. Hi, Ronnie. Good morning. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, how are you? Awesome. Are you ready? Yes, let's go with Bob. All right. Okay. John Moore, let me get Bob number number nine right out of the gate. Ronnie, here is your Bob to name. Oh, I see. Okay, well, here's another question for you. Hmm. Gentlemen, where specifically will your wife say is the weirdest place she's ever gotten the urge to make whoopee? It's the weirdest Bob, uh, place. Craycheck? I can't think of his last name for, uh, uh, name that, uh, name that price. Price is right. No. Oh, no. You're, you're in the right you're in the right genre. Yeah, you're in the right job. Yeah. Yeah. Because this guy has a similar job to right. that other guy. Are you gonna play the whole clip or just that part of the clip? <laughs> that is my favorite blooper from a game show. Now we get to play it again because Tim is online too. Hi Tim. Good morning. Good All right. morning, Tim. <laughs> Tim, here's the Bob that's on the board. Oh, I see. Okay, well, here's another question for you. Hmm. Gentlemen, where specifically will your wife say is the weirdest place she's ever gotten the urge to make whoopee? All right, Tim, who is that? Uh, Direct from the newlywed game, that is Bob Eubank. Yes, sir. Well done. I just wanted to start off playing that clip. That's why. I know. It puts you in a good mood. All right, Tim. Beth's become <laughs> literally. Uh, okay. The answer was in the kitchen. <laughs> All right, uh, Tim, you're halfway there. Uh, would you like a Bob <laughs> or a Dylan? Let's do another Bob. All right. The uh, next Bob on the list is number five, John Moore. Tim, for, for the tickets, who is this Bob? But before we step aside for just a second here, my sincere thanks to Matt Lauer and Meredith Vieira, two friends and true pros who stepped in for me on short notice. My thanks as well to all of you who expressed your concern, and my apologies to everyone for the unavoidable but uncomfortable circumstance of a broadcaster's ill-timed affliction getting in the way, even for just a few moments, for what we all came here for, the Olympic Games. <laughs> yeah, don't talk about my eye, or why I'm wearing glasses. Oh my God. A couple of hints right there. Tim, who is that Bob? I believe that's Bob Costas. That is Bob Costas. Well done. And Tim, you're going to see Bob Dylan. 
Are you so excited, Tim? I think he's... Uh, well, I'm speechless. I'm so excited. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's become Bob Dylan. I'm really excited to win those tickets. All right, Tim, we'll put you on hold with Bernie. And uh, there we go. Winner's out of the gate. I love this. And he knew Bob Eubanks. All right, Tim. You know, um, Bob Costas's right eye during the, the Sochi Olympics. I mean, that was just... Poor guy. Continuing coverage of Bob's pink eye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, he, and, and I played that clip because he was so just serious about it. Yeah. My eye. Now back to the games. <laughs> Did you ever hear the, the, the old wives tale about how you get pink eye if somebody is... Oh, Gassy in your pillow. Oh, yeah, it is what you say. Oh, I was thinking there's no way you're going to say that. Yes. Yeah, so I I, I kept saying, like, how ironic is it that he's in Russia where Vladimir Putin is the the leader? I thought there was something there. Send Bob Eubanks over, too, to finish the question. There was some kind of joke there. I just couldn't put it all together. I'm still still stuck on you saying that he was in a good mood. (laughs) I don't even know. Y'all, I don't know what's happening. I've, I've had more coffee than normal today. All I know is, whoopee, it's time for Boomer Von Cannon. I'm loving this. I am loving this. Go get him, Beth. I don't, you know, I'm, okay. I'm going to go get another cup. There you go. Get two. Okay. News Talk 1110 WBT. Bo and Beth here on a Wednesday morning. Tomorrow, we'll have more Bob Dylan tickets. And then next week, next week, Doobie Brothers tickets. And Michael McDonald's part of that concert, isn't he? He is part of that concert. I mean, I mean y'all. Yacht rock star that he is. Y'all. Michael McDonald. Makes me think of that the movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin because they just play Michael McDonald constantly in the store. <laughs> well, um, so I'll have more details on how we're actually going to give away those tickets next week because we already know that too. But uh, I, I, I want to get to this. I was wondering... Um, what Bernie would think. Zoki, of course, because he's WBT sports director, but Bernie is our resident uh, Hornets. I mean, he's a diehard Hornets. I mean, oh, it's, no. t- it's hard to be a Hornets fan right now. Oh, God. But I saw this yesterday. The Hornets uh, trading Terry Rozier to uh, Miami. Scary Terry, who, you know, I've really come to like as he's been a player here. I, Back it up, Terry! S- scrappy guy, you know. He's, but, uh, look, he's on a team right now that's not going anywhere. So the Hornets are doing things with eyes on the future. They trade Rozier to the Miami Heat for a 2027 first-round pick and Kyle Lowry, who I had to, to double-check and make sure he was still in the league. Yeah, I saw Jim's tweet yesterday that said it'd be great if this trade wasn't when Kyle and Mitch were the same age. <laughs> um, but uh, He's been around for a while. Look, I'm really tired of saying this when – these players get traded from Charlotte teams is that I'm happy for them that they got out. I'm really tired of saying, I feel like I've said that for the past. I don't know how long it's been like five years. Every DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey. um, I mean, even Kemba got out of here and got a chance to win. And I know he Baker Mayfield, (laughs) Baker Mayfield. Like there's, we are the good luck Chuck team. Come before for Terry players. Rozier, by the way. <laughs> we are we are the boyfriend you go to before you have success. And yet, and I'm tired of it. And yet they go and do a Hornets thing this week and beat Minnesota. Yeah. When Carl Anthony Towns scores what seventy? How many points did he score? No, that was sixty-two. Sixty-two. It was Embiid, Embiid that scored, scored seventy. 70 yeah, but, but I mean, it, it, Terry has been, in my opinion, one of the only Hornets leaders that's really embodied just trying. Like he 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 gives effort every night and whether he's you know his defense is lacking some nights or not like he is out there busting and and that's something that doesn't get lost on me I've met Terry a couple times in person he's a great guy I offered him my hornet's hat very weird 
Oh. It was my first Hornets media day. Did, did Wait, he's very weird, or you thought no, that I was... I was very weird. Did, he, did they tell you he already had one? A grown man offered him his hat because he said it was cool. He's like, man, I oh. love that hat. Oh, and okay. I said, okay, I just yeah, thought yeah. you went up to him and said, hey, would you like my no, hat? No, no, no. I was thinking, said, doesn't he, he have said, a man, hat? I love that hat. It was a Hornets hat. Can I have and your, I was like, you can have it. Can I have I your watch when you were dead? <laughs> and he was like, he thought about it, and I was like, God, that's weird. A grown man just offered another grown man. That is the that. cutest thing I've ever but heard. But that was in my the Hornets fan in me that shouldn't have come out in Hornets Media Day. Like it was obviously not in front of a bunch of people. Yeah, but, but you're, you're. I got it on video. Your <laughs> instinct was. <laughs> it was in front of Terry Rozier. <laughs> it was, yeah. Your instinct was to give. Yeah. And that says everything that anybody he's, needs to know about he's you, a great Bernie. Guy from all accounts, from what I've, and he seemed like a leader on the team. So I hate to see him go, but I. Wishing the best of luck. I just hate that I feel like Mitch traded him to a division rival. I mean, he did. And now they have another piece to potentially compete for a championship. They're not going to be bad in three years when this first-round draft pick comes up. It's three protected. years? Yeah, it's, it's a 2027 first-round draft pick. I'm so... sorry. I didn't mean to just yell that. I didn't realize it was 2027 mm-hmm. first-round mm-hmm. draft yeah. We're going to draft somebody who's in middle school right now. <laughs> yes. They're <laughs> technically a sophomore in high school. I've seen people tweet that. And it's that's... It's, I'm just really tired of this being the status quo for Charlotte sports. And then, but I'm yes, happy for Terry. I'll say it. I'm happy for Terry. He can go win somewhere. I and think this is where he wanted to go this. out of anywhere was Miami. They so did he gets him a to, favor. He gets to play in a great place. He clearly owns many hats. He didn't need an extra hat. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we're just – honestly, we're just clearing space to go create assets to get future younger players. And I get it. We're not – we're 10 and 31 or whatever, even with the win the other night. But it's like – what – incentive is there to go see a team that's just going to they're not done the, the trade deadline is february 8th they're going to trade more players away and and, and and expiring contracts and this is going to be a non-rest of the season what you're seeing is a, a city that is really out of touch with its fans in in both football and basketball Ooh. because they are adding this stuff to spectrum center and raising ticket prices when we don't even have a quality product on the court like Nate Bergazzi was very good at Spectrum Center. They have their (laughs) their priorities are out of whack. So explain this one to me, though. Okay. So also yesterday, big news in the NBA. This happened later in the afternoon. The Milwaukee Bucks fire their head coach. I did not understand this. This even caught Beth Troutman's, you know, a peripheral NBA fan. Yeah. This caught your attention. Adrian Griffin is the coach. Now, uh, if you look at the Milwaukee Bucks record, if you haven't been paying attention, second in the Eastern Conference, 30-13. and 13. You know, they got Dame Lillard in the offseason. This is a team that's supposed to uh, contend for the title, and with that record, you would think that they're, they're four games behind the Celtics, but they fire their head coach. There's got to be more behind this, Jim Zilke. Well, there are some ways that they play. I mean, as you said, I mean, they have Giannis, they've got uh, Lillard, so their, their goal is championship or bust, and I get that while they've got these great players for the moment. And um, But it's to your point, they're second in the conference, um, you know, they're ahead of Philadelphia, which is a very good team, the 76ers. And he's a new coach. The problem, they said, is like they don't play defense well. So, okay, is that his fault or the fact that they traded Drew Holiday to create the Dave Lillard uh, uh, possibility on that roster? They traded their best defender away. So you can only get defense and play with the roster you're given. To me, that's more of a general manager thing. Who fired him, by the way, the general manager? Um, so if he doesn't have defensive-minded players who play great defense, what difference does it make as far as what another coach could do? And their talk is like they're going to hire Doc Rivers, who's kind of known as being like he did win one championship with the Celtics in 08, uh, but he's kind of known as the guy that loses in the conference finals, and that's why he got let go in Philadelphia the last time and why he's on ESPN right now. So you're hiring a guy who's known for getting close but not winning in most years a championship. The only time he was coach of the year 
was in 2000, back with the Orlando Magic, 24 years ago. Is this a battle of egos? Is it just ego? Is it just the GM just got an ego and he just didn't he didn't want to? Maybe the guy stood up to him. Ugh. Ugh. You never know, too. Was there? A, they seem to like him. He's a younger coach. Yeah, you said it well. These are my sports. <laughs> nice no, sports. You, you said it well. Uh, but uh, he seems like a, it wasn't like a, his personality. It seemed like he was a liked guy, and they yeah. gave him a chance. He's a younger guy. It's his first head coaching job. But he seemed like he, the record's good, which obviously you can't do poorly when you got players of that caliber. But still, it's like the world we live in. I was talking the other day about Nick Sirianni. They fired all of his assistant coaches and kept him. But they talked about firing Nick Sirianni a year after going to the Super Bowl and being 10-1 and one this season before they hit a losing streak. So what does it take now to have job security if you're a coach? Right. Because even a winning season isn't Mike job Tomlin. security. Mike Tomlin. talk about Mike Tomlin wouldn't be back with the Steelers going 10-7 and seven with Mason Rudolph, a quarterback. I mean, it's just like he did a remarkable coaching job. I'd just like to have a coach for the Panthers. <laughs> Maybe we could get the Bucks guy. I mean, I know it's basketball, but still. <laughs> yes. we, we may get the Bucks guy. The Tampa Bay Bucks guy is like probably the leading candidate right now. Dave Canales. Hey, look at me. Another hot sports take. Make no. that a promo yeah. later. We should get the Bucks guy. Then when we get the Bucks guy, you'll be right. <laughs> when we come back, uh, I don't know if you heard this yesterday, but Greg Olson was on the Pat McAfee show talking about Dan Morgan. Uh, and, of course, Dan Morgan was hired as the uh, GM of the Carolina Panthers. They do have a GM, finally, but they need a coach as well. And we'll uh, hear some of what Greg Olson, who, of course, is one of the most respected Carolina Panthers in Panthers history. Love that guy. And he's the, the top analyst uh, in all of television So much right better now. than Tom Brady will ever be when he gets on. <laughs> That's know, the truth. I heard he's still coming back. I know. And, they and I they keep how, talking. They're studying it. Joe Buck's talking about it. I wonder how it's, you know, I think we're really going to make, make a... Greg Olson move out of that seat. I don't know how you do I that. I think now. they should make it like have him be like co-host and just kind of duke it out like Survivor, the best one wins, and have him, you know, Tom Brady kind of like watching paint dry, and then Greg Olson over here being really personable, <laughs> and then we get to vote. There it is. You heard it here. <laughs> Welcome back, News Talk 1110 WBT. Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman, Jim Zoki, Carolina Panthers. Still don't have a coach, but they do have a GM. And uh, that, of course, was announced earlier this week. I thought it was interesting because you're getting a lot of, uh, and we talked about this yesterday, about uh, people who remember Dan Morgan as a player, uh, people who know him only as an executive, people who know him as both and have watched him climb the ladder. He was on the uh, Pat McAfee show on ESPN yesterday. Uh, I'm sorry, Greg Olson was on Pat McAfee talking about Dan Morgan. Dan is a really intelligent guy. He kind of cut his, you know, cut his teeth through the, you know, through Seattle, and then he was in Buffalo for a little bit before he came to Carolina. He's a really highly respected guy. He's very intelligent. I think he uses a lot of his playing days, you know, um, lessons learned. Now he's carried it into the front office as he's made his journey now to to this position as the GM, president of ops, whatever the title is. And um, so I, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but like, definitely does. I think people that think of him as his linebacker days are like, oh man, we just got this tough, hard-nosed linebacker that was a crazy middle, you know, crazy white guy. And it's like, no, no, no. This dude is like highly intelligent, great communicator, great evaluator of talent. So I see a lot of parallels and similarities. And listen, I want them to do well. I live here. I want my kids to cheer for the home team. I want them to succeed and hopefully Dan does that. So that's your uh, that's your number one analyst in uh, in football right now on TV who 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 was a longtime Carolina Panther and obviously there for a while when Dan Morgan was there, right, Jim? Morgan. Oh and, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. And uh, to to his point, I mean, you know, Dan Morgan is is more than qualified for this job. I know the uh, the what he's following is being part of as the assistant GM of what uh, was not uh, good personnel, but I mean, he knows what he's doing as far as. 
having gone to Buffalo, having gone to Seattle, being here, knowing it's a different thing being like kind of below the top level where you're the you're the point guy yeah. making the decisions. So it's it's not fair to judge him until they get in there, get a few drafts, have free agency, have trades, and, and see what he can do with this roster. But I think he's he's built for success, and he's been in on these head coaching interviews as this kind of interim helping with, uh, with these um, Zoom meetings, whatever, virtual meetings for coaches. Yeah. So he's been on every one of those. So uh, I think as far as the coaching thing goes, you know, he's right in lockstep. And I'm glad they went GM first and then they're going to hire the coach. That's the proper order uh, in doing things and having him have a big say-so in who the next coach is going to be. I love Greg Ol- Olson's positivity and optimism about it. I mean, and I love Greg Olson, so it's great to hear that he has a lot of faith in Dan Morgan. I think the big question for a lot of Panthers fans, and I, I said this yesterday, is just that Dan Morgan was there. He's been there for what's been going on, and I think people are wondering how much say he had in this team that didn't do so well. Um, but you're right. He, he, he's, he has a chance now to prove himself because he wasn't in the decision-making role. Just so you know, uh, if you need the, 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 the refresher, Dan, Dan Morgan drafted number 11 by the Panthers in 2001. Uh, and then after his playing career, he worked in the Seahawks front office from 2010 to 2017. Then uh, went to the Bills, was in the front office there from 2018 to 2020, and has been an assistant GM for the Panthers since 2021. So he's paid his dues. The legend of Dan Morgan, as you know, is uh, 2003 in the Super Bowl that he was credited with 18 tackles. But they, they do what's called coaches tape. They go back and look at the actual game and, like, really study it. That he had 25 tackles in that Super Bowl loss to the Patriots. 25 is like 1,000. I mean, it's just like, that's an unheard of number. Uh, so officially in the box score, if you look it up, it's 18. But uh, by coaches tape, he had uh, 25 tackles in the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots. And we kind of alluded this to this yesterday. I mean, Dan Morgan, uh, longtime Panthers fans know who Dan Morgan is. But Dan Morgan got a bit overshadowed by Luke Keekley because of the big star that he became. They mm-hmm. played the same position. And in the annals of, of Panthers history, they're two very, very solid, great. Oh, we were spoiled. Throw John Beeson in there, too. Yeah, we had yeah. some incredible middle linebackers. Did um. Did Greg Olson bring up Jimmy Kimmel when he was on the Pat McAfee show in any way? <laughs> he did not. Okay. At Let's least see. to my knowledge, he did not. <laughs> that usually doesn't yeah. get you invited back if you do the. But Aaron Rodgers showed up at the end to give his take on Dan Morgan. <laughs> he just I appears think. like out, like Tony Marino used to. Like, he just appears out of nowhere. The best part of the whole, the whole, the. Uh, the best part of the whole thing with uh, with what happened with Aaron Rodgers is they made this big thing about how he was not going to be on the show for the rest of the season, and then the next day he showed up again. But they put him on. Yeah. That's kind of how. Like they have no control. Like there's no way of stopping Aaron Rodgers. He's right, right, be right. Up. He just comes out of his dark cave <laughs> and says things. It's kind of how Pat McAfee rolls. Seven forty-three on WBT traffic check. We'll talk to Brett Winterbull coming up. Crossing the streams. See what he thought about Trump's big win last night and the fact that Nikki Haley is staying in nonetheless. And it is the morning after. The New Hampshire primary. Bo and Beth here. Time to cross the streams with Brett Winterbull. Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now. Three. Three. We win it every time. We win the primary. We win the generals. We've won it. And it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. If you remember in 2016, we came here and we needed that win, and we won by 21 points, and it was great. And uh, today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely. 
when it was at 7, but now I just walked up and it's at 14. But all right, so he's talking about Nikki Haley, who uh, we were talking yesterday. What would be the threshold? What would be the margin that would be needed for Na- for Haley to stick in the race? And uh, 11% is not what we came down to, uh, Brett Winnable. Right. So, yeah. uh, and yet she still is uh, d- deciding to, to say in this. So so what would you think about the the numbers last night and, and Trump and Haley? What are you thinking today? I, I look, I think they, they came out roughly about what we kind of expected. Um, I'm not surprised that she's going to continue on to... Uh, South Carolina, although Trump made a big deal uh, about the fact that she's supposed to go to Nevada next because that's what's happening next. But he's going to go and, and, and fight for that spot. Um, so I, I, look, she's going to she's going to stay in this as long as she can be funded. And then at some point, she'll she'll probably just uh, drop out. Do you think at this point, is she setting her sights as the, the long game campaign setting her sights on 2028? Or do you think that if she does drop out and she falls in line with the DeSantis's and the Tim Scott's of the world and endorses Trump because she mm-hmm. signed the pledge that everybody signed, mm-hmm. um, that she becomes part of his cabinet, that she becomes a VP pick, that she becomes secretary of state? Possibly, yeah. Poss- very possible. Uh, or, or she or she keeps... Uh, those delegates um, until you get to the convention and you have like a floor fight or, or something like that where she's going to negotiate for a particular role in the in, 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 in the cabinet or potentially vice president. I, I don't know if Trump is going to be cool about that because I think the longer it goes, the matter he's going to get and he's going to not want to play ball with her. So this is this is this is still very very early to see how all these uh, pieces are going to fall into place. Do you think that she's being advised to stay in even if you know, she continues losing some of these primaries based on the legal calendar of Donald Trump as these primaries approach? Do you think that there is some measure of of yeah. uh, strategic thought in what might happen given? what we might learn or what pe- voters might see or if it changes maybe, anyone's minds? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, look, um, does she want to maybe be the last person standing in case Donald Trump gets sent to jail? I mean, I guess that that could be a strategy. But at that point, then the field would just open wide. You could have like a Ted Cruz jump in or you could have Ron DeSantis say, I'm not suspending my campaign or Vivek Ramaswamy could, could turn around and say, you know what? I'm picking up the mantle of Trump because he's going to be busy. Uh, I only suspended my campaign and I can fund my own campaign because I'm really rich. Um, A lot of of stuff can happen. Uh, A lot of stuff can happen here. But what's important on on this, I I think more than anything, and Bo and Beth, you guys hit hit on this brilliantly in the last hour, talking about the the closing of In-N-Out. And Bo, your (laughs) your saga of attempting to purchase underwear, um, I was moved by that in in many ways. And, 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 And look, that is something that will sell. Everybody's talking about the immigration issue, and that's a big issue. OK, that's a big issue. You start going back to the fundamental issues that Republicans ran on, typically like in the 80s uh, against uh, soft on crime liberals. That's a winner. Everybody has crime in their states. We just heard the report at the beginning of this hour, uh, Mark Garrison talking about the, the, the 95 counts of crime that these these old punks are doing uh, around the city. Um, you, you, this is an opportunity for anybody, Nikki Haley, Donald Trump, 
someone running for Congress, someone running for Senate to get in there and hammer crime because nobody wants crime. When you have theft, massive theft like we have where you've got to lock up everything in the store, that is the termite of society. It, it, it hollows out the society and, and communities die. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to make one proposition. And I hope Tark Bakari does this or somebody does this. Forget this. We're not going to put the names out because they commit felonies. Nonsense. If you're underage and you're 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 enough running around with a gun and stealing stuff and hurting people. We need a registry of juvenile offenders. We got to see the names of these people because people should be aware. If you've got a sex offender in your neighborhood, if you've got a serial uh, robber in your neighborhood, that has got to go. And I'm telling you. If somebody wants to try to run to the front of this, because Joe Biden cannot defend uh, the the, the, the he will defend the criminal class 24 7, 365. The Republicans have got to take that mantle and jam it right down the throats of the Democrats. And if they do that, that's the winning issue in 2024. Crossing the Streams brought to you by Ph.D. Weight Loss. And, and you bring up a good point. We've been talking about or, or wondering why Nikki Haley would stay in based on the numbers. And we were talking last hour. Could it be that she uh, believes that maybe Trump is going to stumble because of legal issues and someone's yeah. going to have to be there to catch it? But all of these candidates who say we, we hear them say every cycle somebody suspends and you never give much thought to suspend quit but suspend in this case i mean any one of them ramaswamy uh, haley desantis could say well extenuating Mm -hmm. circumstances i'm getting back in pence it could be i mean there's a lot of people because all you got to do is get to the convention and and hope that you can maybe you know engineer an alliance or two or three and see what see what you can pull off so um, I, I think I, there's there's a lot of chicanery between here and Milwaukee. I think the other important word that you said to watch now as it relates to Haley is funding. It's yes. one thing for, say, for, for Haley to say, I'm going on to South Carolina. Yep. But the thing to watch in the coming days is, is she going to lose some of that support and some of that backing? Or maybe she's going to gain it. I don't know. But that's, you know, it, it's her decision. But by the same token, if certain people who are helping that, that train go forward yeah. pull off and, and, mm-hmm. and put their resources elsewhere, That'll be interesting, too, I think. Silicon Valley would probably be happy to fund her because what it would do is it would would extend, like Reid Hoffman, right, who owns LinkedIn. These people could go in there and fund her because that will extend the battle. And that that ultimately, you know, in many ways would defend defend them. And I was talking about losing funding. You're talking about funding gained. That could happen, too. Yes, alternatively. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what's coming up on the Brett Winterbull show today. We'll talk about about a lot of this and uh, some of that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yes all y'all should join us on the brett winterbull show today as you stand to the vacuum of his eyes programming note tomorrow on the show just like today so tomorrow's gonna be in the six o'clock hour your chance to win bob dylan tickets he's coming to the belt theater the rough and rowdy ways tour sunday march 17th it'll feel real good if you win our contest Name that Bob or Dylan for Bob Dylan tickets. Not now, but it will return tomorrow. We'll have tickets tomorrow and Friday as well. Pairs of tickets to see Bob Dylan coming to uh, the Belk Theater. So uh, we had a great time with it already. Already had a winner today. Congratulations. And uh, you could be next. Tim. Um, And you will regret it if you don't at least try. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) I didn't know where that was going, but... 
That's a uh, positive motivational message. You will regret not taking. It sounds like something the Waniac would have sent in as his daily motivation. Right, I'll send it out with a, a, a sunshine. Um, you 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 regret all of the shots that you do not take, and you miss all of the shots. One hundred percent of the take. shots you don't take. Yeah, which. Yeah. Uh, do you have regrets over there? Is that what you're trying to tell well, me? Well, that's what I wanted to – I, I had – there was a method to my madness. Um, I saw this article the other day about the the things that people regret not doing, the things that they especially regret not doing when they were younger. And it got me thinking about – young life and the, the the things that we're so insecure about that prevent us from taking chances or prevent us from having fun or prevent us from, you know, being the best versions of ourselves. And some of them kind of hit home with me. And I wanted to share some of these with you guys. And I know that growing up as a female is different than growing up as a male, that our insecurities may um, vary. <laughs> Our experiences are certainly different, but some of these will speak, I think, to you guys. One of them that uh, that a, a user shared, I regret socializing, not socializing and giving my own interests a chance. People who are too afraid, maybe you're interested in, I don't know, being in something like an acapella group, but acapella groups aren't cool. So you don't. Wait, you just figured it out. That's mine. I never did the acapella thing. Out of all the possibilities on the planet. Acapella group. Or, you know, if you wanted to join the drama club, but people were uh, making fun of, of of being in plays or being an actor, or you wanted to be in the chorus or the mm-hmm. band, and there was a stereotype or a stigma that went along with those things, and you didn't explore things you were really interested in, and then you missed out on developing that skill because you were self-conscious or insecure because of the pressure that was put on you. Or, ah, this one spoke to my heart. Turning down invites and opportunities to meet new people or maybe travel to new places because I was too hung up on how I looked. No, yeah. guys, no. speak to you guys. <laughs> but that's one of the that. So I started thinking about this. It's one of the biggest regrets that I have when you're young. You're under so much influence of media, and now it's much worse because of things like social media and this consistent need to be seen and your life needs to be perfect and all of those things. And I, you know, I was so insecure in my own skin as a young person. And I wish that I had just rocked the bikini at the beach or, or felt comfortable in the swimsuit. A lot of guys rooting for that. (laughs) But you know, the, the whole feeling of feeling My my female friends and I, and I know that there are ladies out there who have had this exact conversation with their female friends at dinner, and maybe you don't have this conversation around your husband. So I'm going to tell you, gentlemen here in this room, that the the ladies you're married to have probably had this conversation with their girlfriends. We have all sat around and looked at photos of ourselves when we were young, and we all say to each other, like, man, I wish I was as fat as I was when I thought I was fat. You are not at all that whatever your brain thinks that you are. You know, it's so sad how much time we spend missing out on being fun because we we feel insecure about our weight or how we look or how we look in clothes when inevitably nobody is thinking about it at all, Mm -hmm. nearly as much as you're thinking about it. Like, you, no one really spends any time thinking about... Because they're thinking about themselves. They're right. They're sitting there being insecure about themselves. Um, One of the other ones on this list was they wish that they had taken better care of their skin. I wish. I grew up in that 
I'm doing all the talking here, aren't I? <laughs> well, you've got the list. <laughs> I grew up in that time period where people ne- didn't necessarily wear sunscreen a lot. Like my mom would like spray us down with baby oil and iodine. <laughs> iodine? Yeah, you'd put iodine in the baby oil because it gave your skin a nice glowy tint and just like send us out and about. <laughs> iodine. So I wish, or Mercurochrome, you know, one of those like tinted uh, things. That must I- have been a southern thing. <laughs> I wish I'd worn more sunscreen because now the sunspots are starting to come up. You know, like the little freckles on your face, and you have to go get them like lasered off. Well, you don't want the, the skin cancer. Well, exactly. We're like the skin cancer generation now. Yeah, and, yeah. and young girls now are doing a be- much, much better job of taking care of their skin. Like, I wish somebody had said, Beth, you need to put moisturizer on your neck. <laughs> <laughs> Regrets. 704 570 do y'all not have anything that you regret that you wish you had done when you were younger that you didn't do? Like maybe trying out for the baseball team or or asking that girl out or to the prom that you really wanted to ask out, but you were too scared? I have one, but if I say it, it's going to sound like I – I mean, I, I wish that when it was time to look for colleges. This has nothing I, – I have nothing bad to say about Davidson College. It's where I went to school. Yeah, yeah. But – I don't think that I looked around at the options enough. Like, I wish I had branched out and gone and, you know, I, maybe I, I only looked at like three, you know, four or five schools. I, I think, you know, you hear kids today going through like 10 or 15. Yeah. And um, I wish during that process I'd been um, a little more inquisitive about uh, things that beyond the kind of the area that I had lived in up until that point. Because you talk all the time about all the places that you've traveled to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things I plan to do as I get older is travel more and become more worldly. And I know that um, that back then, if I had known about certain places, I'm not saying that I wouldn't have ended up where I ended up, but I think I would have there, there's some other options out there that I would say, huh, I never even knew this was there. You know what I'm I saying? I love that one. I think that's a beautiful but one. But don't, don't interpret that as you're listening, that I'm saying something like I didn't like Davidson. Like, I got a great education there, and I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that I went there. I'm not a huge active alum, um, but I don't know if I would be anywhere. I'm not like the rah-rah, go back to— you know, I went. I didn't go to my class reunion until 30 years later, so I just, you know, I, I'm not necessarily Mr. Plugged-in alumni wherever I would be, but— the actual time I spent in college, I, I wonder what would be if it would be different if I went back and, and sort of explored some areas that I didn't know about then that I've come to know now. And some of it's because, quite honestly, I have kids that have looked at places. They explored a yeah. little bit more. But I think it's great. My husband, would he would tell you he has that exact same regret that he didn't venture enough, like far enough outside of the comfort zone. And he didn't even realize there was this whole other world out there. And he doesn't, you know, discount the the, the college that he went to, the university that he went to, but he wishes that he had known about more. And I kind of wish I had taken a gap year and like backpacked across Europe, you know, and eat a lot of pasta. That wasn't a thing when we were coming up. Nobody did that. Plus, we didn't have the internet to research all these places. (laughs) That is true. I mean, I may have ended up exactly where I was. Who knows? Yeah. But I'm just saying the process of it, if I had taken a little more ownership over over the, the places that I, I searched out. I just wonder how it would have gone. You know, it's not a, I'm, I'm, I'm not unhappy with what I did. I'm wondering what might have changed well, see, if I had been. I was going to say, we do have this conversation at home. Is I want to see the alternate ending to the movie if I'd gone to Ohio State versus Bowling Green. Or we've all had job offers in different places. If we moved to those jobs, was it, it's not a regret. But I'd kind of like to see it with the movie version of if I moved to Atlanta and taken the job or I'd moved to California and taken the job. Yeah. What would that life, and maybe this is by far the best one of the options, but how would that have played out? So it's less 
regret and more like I'm curious about what that would have It's the sliding like. doors thing. Oh, it is yeah. this. I was going to say that. Oh, you love Gwyneth Paltrow movies, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Avengers and Iron Man. I loved okay. her in those. <laughs> WBT. News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Regrets. Hopefully you're not regretting listening to the show today. Oh, oh, that, no. Oh, that makes me sad to even consider. Uh, let me rephrase that. <laughs> of course you're not regretting listening to the show today. No regrets. No regrets. Now, I will say that I think regret is kind of a wasted emotion, but it is fun to think about what we as young people could have done differently if we just knew then what we know now. I, I Sometimes I do think that youth is it, it, that famous line, youth is wasted on the young, right? But a BuzzFeed story brought this up in my brain because people were sharing, they wanted to share with younger people the things they wish they had done, you know, trying to give advice, trying to give words of wisdom um, to young people. And I thought some of these were just magical. They were just so great because they spoke so I think probably everybody's, or they speak to everybody's experience. Um, this one is great so that, that a, a, a user shared. Having the confidence to make my own decisions, not relying on other people to encourage me. This one I thought was fantastic. Being a better boyfriend to the awesome girls that I dated when I was younger. Or the ladies might think, man, I wish I was a better girlfriend to that sweet guy. Or I wish I had said yes when that really sweet guy asked me to the dance and, and, and I was more worried about whether or not he was popular. You know, all the dumb stuff. Or said was- no. <laughs> yeah, all the dumb stuff we spend time, you know, thinking about and wasting our energy on when we were when we were young. It's people kind of sharing with young people saying, hey. Don't waste your time on this. Let's go to Paul, who's been waiting patiently, has a uh, regret story. Paul, welcome to Good Morning BT. Welcome. Thank you very much for your warm welcome. And, uh, Beth, you're spot on with your comments. Um, what, I guess what I wanted to share was a little bit of um, some experiences that I had growing up and that I'm, my wife and I are trying to impart on our children. Now, I think that we as parents have the role to stir and to foster the curiosity in our kids, you know, from a young age, um, to want to experience new things, you know, uh, learn a new language, travel internationally. Yes. So where I grew up, I grew up in the island of Curacao in the Dutch Caribbean. Oh wow! By virtue of the fact that, and by virtue of the fact that Curacao is, uh, you know, you 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 have to learn the rest of the world because you're on a small little Caribbean island. So we have to learn different languages. But also for us, my parents always fostered and really pressed us to go on vacations with them. You know, it was magic for us to come to the U.S. Um, they, they, they really um, recommended us to look into possibilities to come study in the U.S. Or I would go spend, you know, a summer here and there in the Netherlands. So I think it starts at a young age where if you foster in your kids to be curious, you know, to take that extra step, that when they make decisions, Hopefully then, you know, you, you won't regret and say, wow, I wish I had traveled more or I wish I had learned that language when our brains, you know, when they're little, it's much easier. Their pathways form quicker. And when you learn different languages, you know, it allows you to also fit into other cultures better. I mean, I'm so thankful for my parents for pushing me because even now, you know, you could drop me in China, uh, anywhere for that matter. And because of the fact that, you know, they stimulated that development that now as an adult, you know, I, I, I have 
I can be more confident and, you know, I don't have regrets and say, man, I wish I had developed that more. Does that make sense? It, yes. It, it makes total sense. And, Paul, what, what I hear you saying is try to encourage yourself to be as worldly as possible. You know, to because I, I, when we, we went down this road, I thought to myself, I don't really have, like, this regret that is sticking out like a sore thumb. But Zoki hit on it a, a few minutes ago when he talked about not necessarily regrets, but you have times in your life when you wonder what would have happened if I had taken this road versus that road. And we can all think about the crossroads in your life where you made a decision and you stuck with that. And it's not that it was a bad decision necessarily. It's a, I wonder what it would have been like if I'd made the other decision. And I hear you sort of, to a degree, echoing that sentiment, at least in the fact that you, you want to give your kids uh, the, the chance to know what all could be out there. Right. Helping your kids be curious and learn and not be afraid of other languages, other cultures, of, of really just expanding their wings and taking chances and risks, right? Yeah. And with wisdom and discernment, you know, obviously, because I think that with wisdom and discernment mm-hmm. also, you take away the fear of the unknown, you know, because I think in, in that sense, my parents were very wise, you know, God bless them for what they gave us. But they were also always saying, hey, you know, the Lord gives you choices. Now, obviously, you, you want to you want to, you know, live your life in unison with how he guides you. And before you make a choice, you know, make sure that you pray that, you know, you talk to other people around you that are wise that help you. But yeah, but with that, you know, educate them, stir that curiosity, etc. But I would also say, teach them to not fall into the trap of regret. You know, as long yes. as, again, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. But if you if you just foster them to just get up, don't have regrets, you know, make sure that the decisions that you make are wise and sound and, and, and educate yourself, then, yeah, I think you reduce the likelihood of, you know, that what ifs or I wish I had done this differently or I mean, that comes naturally, you know, to everybody. But yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, Paul, a little bit of a, yes. I regret that we have to end this call. Uh, <laughs> not because of anything you're have saying. Bless, it's just our club. Day, uh, well, hopefully have, have a blessed day, guys. We you love you, Paul. That was a great call. And I, I think he uh, brought it all home. He kind of sort of tied together what all, all three of us have sort of been saying in different ways. You know, and it doesn't have to end in regret. But it can end in knowing you made the right decision, right? And it can end in wisdom, because even if you if the if you know you you don't you don't get you miss all the shots that you don't take, but you learn from that. You learn from if you don't take that shot and you feel like, yeah. man, I wish I had. You guys, you grew up in Curacao. You're burying the lead. <laughs> I know. Who gets to be born in Curacao? I'm going to regret it if I don't go to the news director right now nah, in the news center. Here's Mark Harrison. WBT. I can go up and I can say to everybody, oh, thank you for the victory. It's wonderful. It's what, Or I can go up and say, who the hell was the imposter that went up on the stage before and, like, claimed a victory? She did very poorly, actually. She had to win. The governor said, she's going to win, she's going to win, she's going to win. Then she she failed badly. Now, I have here, if he promises to do, to do it in a minute or less, but the only person more angry than... Let's say me, but I don't get too angry, I get even. The only person... The only per- because he was there, and he did fantastically well, by the way, and then he endorsed me. And we don't have to talk about Tim Scott, who, by the way, just got engaged, we have to tell you. And that's more important than all of this stuff. 
But a man that got to know her very well is Vivek. I said, Vivek. I said, Vivek. Go up and say a few words about it. He has to do it in one minute or less, and then we're going to just say, we had one hell of a night tonight. And one other thing before Vivek comes, do you see that poll? We're going to put it up. We have beaten Biden. You could almost say, who can't? Who the hell can't? The man can't put two sentences together. He can't find the stairs off a stage. Who can't? But. Vivek, one minute or less. Go All right, so we're not going to do the one minute or less for Vivek Ramaswamy, but I wanted to give you a sense of the room there last night because Tim Scott there, Vivek Ramaswamy there, President Trump there, and giving a speech I don't think President Trump intended on giving uh, when the day the sun came up yesterday. I think he thought Nikki Haley was going to get off the stage because she lost to the degree that she did. Mick Mulvaney, uh, you hear him on our show on Mondays. You hear him with News Nation, former White House chief of staff and, uh, and former South Carolina congressman, budget director. Uh, he was covering this last night. I, I got to know, what do you think in the morning after the New Hampshire primaries? Um, morning, guys. Uh, yeah, I, I'm so, a little bit surprised. Uh, I thought Nikki would do a little bit better than that. I think the numbers I've got show her losing by 12. I know there's still some some votes out there to be counted. Um, but let's let's go back to Iowa. I remember very clearly um, interviewing. We had an interview with Vivek Ramaswamy the morning of the uh, Iowa caucuses as the, as the, as the, that, that day on, on that Monday morning. And he's like, look, I don't care how I do tonight. I'm going on to New Hampshire. I'm going on to South Carolina. I'm going on to, to uh, Super Tuesday. And then, of course, by, you know, 9 o'clock that night, he's like, well, I'm out of the race. So, you know, you, you never you always take those, uh, those prognostications from the candidates with a grain of salt. My guess is this, is that uh, Nikki's team had determined that regardless of what happened last night, they weren't dropping out last night. And they're going to take the next week or so to try and figure out what to do next. Here's the risk that she runs. If they really think they can be competitive in South Carolina, then obviously they stay in. She's down somewhere between 20 and 35 points, depending upon who you talk to and what polls you look at. If she thinks she can close that gap and there's a path to victory, and it has to be victory in South Carolina, then she stays in. If she doesn't feel like she can close the gap, she has to get out of the race. And when I say has to, it's not, it's not, it's not because of it's the right thing to do. It's, well, you know, get a rally behind Trump. Here's the reason she has to get out of the race if she can't win South Carolina. Right now, she's running as much for 2028 as she is for 2024. Um, and if she loses her home state badly in 2024, it makes it harder and harder for her to get people to rally around her in 2028 because it bespeaks a weakness that she's not shown yet. Right now, she's shown strength. She did okay in Iowa. She did okay last night. If she gets crushed in her home state, it's going to make donors and other you know, influencers look someplace else in 2028. I think that's the analysis they're doing. My guess is you hear a decision one way or another in the next week. I don't know if you know any of her um, like campaign strategists or any of the people who work on her team closely. Is there any chance that someone is advising her on a really long game because of the coinciding uh, court appearances that the former president has that that she s- continues staying in and hopefully and, and maybe they're saying that she hopefully will will gain money and momentum because people start seeing the writing on the wall in some way and that she wants to be the last man standing if something happens is there a long game strategy there I don't know who her strategists are I was just wondering if that was behind some of the um, the positivity and the the continuing the fight rhetoric that was in her speech last night 
Yeah, it's possible. I mean, you make it a simpler case. What happens if Trump gets run over by a bus, you know, in three weeks? Does she does she win by virtue of being the last person standing? The answer is no. Um, not automatically. It's not just because, oh, the, that, well, there was two people in the race and the other guy died. Uh, now I get to be the nominee. That's not how it works. You have to look deep into the rules of the RNC. And to be honest with you, I don't know what the rules of the Republican National Committee are if something like that, that happens. Um, uh, my guess is that they'd have, they have – believe me, they don't just give it to the next person in line. That's not, that's not how it works. Um, she's going to have some delegates. She earned a couple delegates in Iowa. So did Ron DeSantis. She got a couple delegates last night. South Carolina, um, I believe, yeah, I'm pretty sure about this, is a winner-take-all state. So if she loses South Carolina, she won't get any delegates there. Um, so I've heard the same theory, Beth, and it, it, it makes some sense. If I can just stick around long enough, maybe he gets convicted. Maybe he gets really, really sick. Maybe you know something happens and, and he can't run, and, and I'll still be here. But so will Ron DeSantis. So everybody else at that point well, Mick, has isn't, their own friends of the RNC. Isn't that the reason that they use the phrase suspend a campaign as opposed to shut it? I know the media will say they're out of the race, they're, they quit. But technically, they say suspend because you never know. Um, actually, that has as much to do and more to do with how you can take in and send money than it does anything else. If you say you're once you you don't really close, you suspend your your, your race because you still need to get access to your campaign accounts. And so for, when you when you actually close up shop, you have to close up your bank accounts, and they, they won't do that till they're out of money. Last night we heard two different speeches. We heard one from um, the former president with a, you know in, in in his rally about the success that he had in New Hampshire. And then we heard a different kind of speech from um, from Nikki Haley. Do you think voters see the two juxtaposed against each other? And we're very accustomed to, to Donald Trump and the, the, the ways that he attacks his opponents. Um, we're very accustomed to his rhetoric, you know, how he talks. And her, her speech was very different. It was a much more positive, I'm scrappy, let's move forward. We need a different kind of country um, kind of speech. Does, does that impact voters at all or are people's minds made up at this point? I, 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 think, they're, I think they're fair well made up. Again, Donald Trump has already been president, nearly an incumbent. Um, uh, the same is true on the other side, obviously, with Joe Biden. Um, the, the, Nikki's Hale, I, I thought Nikki's speech last night was, was good. I really did. I, I thought she's, listen, if she had lost um, Iowa, if she came in third in Iowa, but she came in third in Iowa the same way that, say, Marco Rubio came in third in Iowa, losing first by five points. It was a really tight race in Iowa in 2016. The batting order, order was Ted Cruz, uh, Donald Trump and then Marco Rubio, I think. But it was all they were all within five points of each other. If she had done that, and then she goes in last night and maybe loses by four or five points, she can make the case, you know, I'm doing better. I went from third to second. I'm closing the gap, et cetera. That, that, that would, that's the exact right speech to give if, if the 2016 circumstances were today. They're not. I mean, he's, he's, he's crushing her. He got, I think he got about 50% again last night on the numbers in front of me. I think he did 54 or something like that. 54 to 43. So, yeah, um, so it's it's a good speech. There's no question. And if she had made the decision not to drop out last night, regardless of what happened, it's the right speech to give. But I don't think the speech last night changes anybody's mind. Um, the thing that that I've I've been looking at this morning as the numbers come out is the number of 
uh, Republicans that voted for Donald Trump versus the number of unaligned voters that vote to Nikki vote to Nikki Haley. Now a lot of Republicans will say, "Oh, that means she should get out of the race." I disagree. If you can win it, if you can win an election, you win an election. There's no question about that. If you, if you could get every Democrat to vote for you, you'd win. You take that. You take that. A win is a win in this business. But to me, it speaks a lot about where South Carolina is headed. Um, while South Carolina is sort of an open race, the Democrats typically don't cross over. Um, to, to, to vote about 1% of the, of the electorate typically is a, is a Democrat crossover. So if, if, if the hardcore Republicans were still supporting Trump by like 70%, mm-hmm. those are the people that are going to vote uh, next month in, 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 uh, in South Carolina unless something changes. They're voting for Donald Trump. We uh, talk to you all the time about uh, your year that you spent five feet away from President Trump. You know how President Trump's mind works. I started this conversation by saying I don't think that's the speech he intended to give last night. Uh, What mode is Trump in now, given what Haley didn't do last (laughs) night, and that is to say she didn't get out of the race? Yeah, he's a little ticked off. There's no question about that. He's a little ticked off. Because, um, you know, he, he won by 12 points last night. That's a, that's a pretty good number. Would he love to win by 50 points? Yes, he would have. But I, I, I think that, uh, first of all, as we've said on the show many times before, there's no love lost between these folks. They, they don't like each other. Um, that doesn't mean they can't work together as, as on a ticket some, sometime in the future. But i got to tell you, if Nikki Haley was looking at being VP, every day that goes by moves her further and further down the list. Because Donald Trump did mention, you know, I think he said uh, – if he didn't say this last night in that speech he just played, I've heard him say it before, you know, uh, people talk about forgive and forget. He goes, I can forgive, but I never forget. Um, and so my guess is he's a little peeved with Nikki Haley right now. He's, he wants this distraction out of the way so he can focus on, uh, on Joe Biden. Okay. Uh, well, we appreciate it. We know that you've had a long night, and uh, we have a, a long road ahead, of course, till we get to the end of all of this. But uh, we can't uh, have a New Hampshire primary uh, follow-up and not talk to you. So thanks for calling in. And we'll see you Monday. My guess is there'll be something more for us to talk about on Monday. There always is. Well, you know, if, if, it, if there's just nothing going on, I'll, I'll call you and we'll find something <laughs> else. No, no. <laughs> we'll see you Monday. Can't wait. That's Mick Mulvaney, former White House Chief of Staff and uh, South Carolina Congressman, does now uh, contributes for News Nation and um, always appreciate his perspective. I mean, the guy was as far as I am from Beth, which is Five feet right now from mm-hmm. Trump for a year. So mm-hmm. this is Good Morning BT. Yes, love your show. What was that, huh? What'd you say? I heard something. I heard something. Okay, just making sure. We're up against the clock, but I did not want to get out of here and not uh, before the governor gets here and not uh, mention Charles Osgood, who passed away at the age of 91 yesterday. And this news broke my heart. One of my favorite, favorite things um, for years and years has been CBS Sunday Morning. And he was, for quite some time, the host of that show, was often seen playing the piano and singing just a beautiful voice, uh, a great way of communicating. Um, And uh, he is a storyteller who will definitely be missed. And I'm sure the folks at CBS will, will miss him greatly as well. well. You know, for years on the radio, he did the Osgood file every morning, and yes. that was just awesome. I used to listen to it driving to work in Raleigh-Durham, and it was just, wow. You kind of remind me of him, Mark. <laughs>
I not agree. hardly. No, I agree. In this is, kind of it, gentle, you're a gentle storyteller. And I think that there's something to be said for that because you do things with grace and with care and, and you have a similar tone. And that was, he was gentle in his really storytelling. Yeah, Pat McCrory's really about to uh, arrive and he always calls Mark Garrison the Charles <laughs> Corrault of WBT. And when you think about it, uh, when, when Charles Corrault retired as the host of CBS Sunday Morning all those years ago, everybody wondered who's going fi- to fill these shoes. And as I said, in the five o'clock hour today, uh, Charles Osgood did. He was and, perfect, and for and, it. Yeah. and he carried the torch perfectly. And, and 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 to your final point, there. When I was in high school as an intern in that newsroom, back where you are right now, uh, the first thing I ever got to do that meant anything was they said, "Here, come bulk erase these carts." <laughs> and what was on many of those carts, I can still see the little printed label, the Osgood file. Oh wow, Charles Osgood, because. Yes, on CBS Sunday morning on television for two decades, but also 45 years mm. on the CBS radio network. Wow, mm. wow, wow. He was the first morning drive news anchor on WCBS in New York, too, So there's when all, they went all news. yeah. Only one way to end this hour, and it's just like this. The Osgood File, Charles Osgood on the CBS radio network. I'll treat you with good, old-fashioned common sense and nothing else. The movement of everyday Americans from every walk of life. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> this is 300-level college education. Exercise of common sense. Time to play the game! This is expensive stuff that you're getting for free. This is part of the movement of common sense. 14 years as Charlotte Mayor. Governor of the Tar Heel State, Pat McCrory. Me now, North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory. Governor, Governor North Carolina you. Governor Pat McCrory is joining us for the first time as an official NBC News contributor. This now with North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory. Four years as NC Governor. This is quite an honor for me today. I'm overwhelmed, and I'm honored to be on the main street of our beautiful capital city. Boy Scouts in the audience, and they may. We served together when I was governor of Indiana, and uh, he did a great job. Pat McCrory, I honestly, uh, Bo, I don't, I don't know how good he is on radio. You'll have to tell him that I said that. Get back to Y'all, this is Pat McCrory <laughs> in a late game. That's more fun than being the governor, ain't it? <laughs> and for a third time, President Trump is back. As the winner of New Hampshire, after last night winning the GOP primary and winning it easily over Nikki Haley, 54 to 43 percent. In the intro, which we did over two and a half years ago, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. I talked about the movement of common sense. We need the movement of common sense, and that's why I'm with no labels right now. Because no labels came out with a 30-point common sense booklet on issues. Last night, in hearing Biden and hearing Trump, who both won with 100,000 people voting or more in one of the small states in the United States, and before that, Iowa, and the election's over for the two political parties. They've decided to nominate, basically, two people who 65% of the American people don't want to see on the ballot. We've never seen this in American history. Is that common sense? No, it means our political system has been hijacked by the two political parties. And they're taking the American voter for granted. They're taking us for granted. And they're being so arrogant, including my party, I'm a Republican, and including the Democratic Party, which you've been a member of, Beth, 
They're being so arrogant, no matter who we select, you have to select one of them. Even if we don't like him, if you vote for anyone else, it's a wasted vote. That's their major argument. And to me, that makes no common sense because I believe in competition. And there was no competition in New Hampshire and in Iowa. If you call three candidates competition, that's not competition. Anywhere in our history have we seen so little competition. And then last night, the two presidential winners get up there, and Biden talked about abortion as though that's the number one issue in the world today. It isn't. It's way down. And Trump talked about Haley and how she, he has to get even with Haley. He threw a little bit of immigration. Then he introduced Rick's, uh, not Rick Scott, but uh, Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy. Or Ramaswamy Tim and then Scott. Tim Scott. Where's the common sense in politics? Because the 64% of the people who are going, can't we do better than Trump and Biden, are, have basically walked away. They're either not going to vote or they want another cho- choice. Or they're going to be forced to vote for one of them. Our system is broken. It's broken in Washington solving these tough issues, which neither candidate is talking about. They're both talking like first graders, mumbling and stumbling. And I mean, Biden is slurring his words at this point in time. And Trump is talking like a second grader at a playground wanting to get even with the person he's already beat up. (laughs) The little girl. (laughs) All right, don't take that literally. I didn't call Nikki. Nikki's a friend. Are you surprised that she uh, did not get out after last night? No, I'm not surprised because she's already spending money. I just walked through the studio here or the lobby here at WBT, one Julian Price place. And her ad's up. And she has to play the Charlotte market to try to get the Rock Hill vote. I'm getting mail-outs from Nikki Haley for Super Tuesday, which means if she is sending me two or three different mail-outs, she's got all the money in the world to last a little bit longer. If she didn't have money, she would be out. But she spent, God knows, 30 or $40 million in New Hampshire. I hate to count how much of that is per vote. So, by the way, people are ripping off all the candidates. I know this game, too. People are making a ton of money. Every mail out you get at home from Nikki Haley or Donald Trump, someone's getting a cut of that action and making a boatload of money. I'm talking about in the millions. Mm -hmm. So the consultants and campaign people love that this is going to be dragged on a little further because that means they'll make more money, get a cut of the action. No, Nikki, Nikki didn't pull out. She's running commercials, TV commercials, right here on WBTV next door as we speak. Should she pull out, given the margin last night? She's, I hate to say it, she's not going to win because South Carolina, it's going to be just like North Carolina. Uh, Trump controls 50 to 55% of the base vote, and you, you can't cut through it. Believe me, I know. And I could I commend him for it. I congratulate him for it. But so when you have fifty five percent of the vote or fifty percent of the vote or whatever it's fifty four. Fifty two in Iowa or something. 
The dilemma is what's going to happen to the other 45 percent of the voters? Will they vote for Trump come general election? That's right. The morning after New Hampshire, Bo and Beth here, Governor McCrory reacting to last night. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it. And I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. From over. There are dozens of states left to go. News Talk 1110. WBT, the governor, is listening to this. I know you were watching this last night. I saw you tweeting some last night, which uh, you've essentially said what you tweeted about uh, no labels. And uh, but, but what about Nikki Haley? I mean, uh, Nikki Haley, as we were going to break, Beth asked a question, and I want to come. I want to continue with that. Yeah, you made that point that in a lot of states like South Carolina, like here in North Carolina, Donald Trump has 50 percent of the, the Republican base or a little over 50 percent of the Republican base. But that leaves another 50 percent or another 48 percent, another 46 percent of the Republican base looking for an alternative. Where are those voices and how loud are those voices and will those people unite behind Nikki Haley altogether or do they just end up falling in line with that other 50 percent and holding their nose and voting, which I think is to your point, you were saying before the uh, the break that a lot of voters, 65 percent don't want either option of the of, of the voters in the, the general election, either option of Trump or Biden. Uh, right. Of right. Trump or Biden. Right. And so how loud are the voices Right now, in this primary process, if he has 50 percent of the base, how loud is the other 50 percent? They're discouraged and they might stay home. And, and Nikki was a very popular governor. But in some ways, very similar to me, I, I had 90 percent approval among Republicans. But the minute Trump went against me, I was a rhino. I was labeled immediately. You saw it, Bo, when I announced here in this studio for the U.S. Senate. I was at 90 percent approval among Republicans. I had a 30-point lead. And the minute Trump went against me and and uh, Club for Growth spent $15 million on the ground, including some FTX money, which I didn't know years, uh, months later, um, the people who like me are similar to the people who like Nikki. They will go on Trump. They'll go with Trump. They'll go. And, and what do you think is the driving force there? How did, you know, how I was did at that Duke, happen? You know, I was at Duke University the other day. And let me explain Trump. And this is the part, part where I, I get it. Parts of it I don't get. And I, I know Trump. I got to know him extremely well when I was governor and on the campaign trail. I got to know him when I was running for reelection. I was on the campaign trail. Well, I've heard his speech 20 times at rallies. It's the same message over and over again. But I, ha- I was at Duke University this weekend uh, in a, a thing to help recognize Ben Chavis. And one of the top provosts or whoever, I-, I was the only Republican in this whole room. And I could feel the intellectual <laughs> liberalism in the room, So which is kind of ironic because here the, 
the Trump people don't like me because I criticize Trump and the left. Like when I walked in the room, you could have heard, <gasps> what's he doing here? I mean, and Chavis, to his credit, Ben Chavis went, he's my friend. But one of the provosts asked me, who was a nice guy, by the way, he's an engineer, a brilliant guy, but he said, why is this attack toward the intellectual class so effective by Trump? Because that is part of the attack. And I said this at a dinner table, and next to me was a young lady who had her master's degree and has gotten offered a big job with a company I won't mention. And I said this, I said, you know, y'all call yourselves intellectuals and you call anyone who doesn't have a college degree uneducated. But the uneducated people are the ones who are fixing your engines and changing your oil. And you intellectuals don't even know where your engine is, where you can't change your oil. And you're calling them uneducated. They're calling you uneducated and you're disrespecting them. And that's who Trump talks to. By the way, it's kind of interesting. Trump, who's a billionaire, appeals to these hardworking men and women, like Roosevelt did, a billionaire at the, in the today's dollars, and like Kennedy did. So this is an assessment that I've come up with lately, kind of an aha moment. I've gone, isn't it interesting that the three most successful politicians in the past hundred years who appealed to the working class were very wealthy people. Who probably wouldn't sit down and have dinner with those people at their Oh, absolutely. Mansions. Oh, listen, I know Trump, too. I mean, Trump can talk to him, but the minute Trump will get away from him and go to Mar-a-Lago, he's a very isolated person in very wealthy environments. Well, when you said that— That's why the- I don't get it. But Roosevelt was the same way. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, when he died— the people lining up the railroad track where the procession went were mainly poor and working class people. When Kennedy was killed, the people lining the procession and Robert F. Kennedy, too, were poor and working class, black and white people. Trump may be the same way, and he gets a lot of black support, and the African-American community doesn't get that either. Well, what did that lady say to you when you said that to her at the table? What was her response? There was stunned silence. I mean, because I'm bringing them a message they're not used to hearing in an academic setting. And I'm very critical. By the way, this is at Duke where seven years ago I was canceled. I do get it, but I don't get the dynamic of how very wealthy people in our history, Democrat and Republican, have appealed to blue collar. Now, Biden used to appeal to blue collar. He appealed to blue collar when he was running for the U.S. Senate in Delaware. But he oh, remember, he always talked about his Pennsylvania roots and mm-hmm. blue collar, and he was actually very conservative on crime. He used to be more for hiring police and jailing people for life and no exceptions. He was appealing to the blue collar. But then the intellectual class of the, uh, of the Democrats, the, the Elizabeth neighborhood types— excuse me, Elizabeth, the Plaza Midwood types, the eclectic white liberals, took over the Democratic Party. And they're the ones who, you know, started saying, you can't say this and you can't say that. And how dare you? 
Well, and that started, they were the wokes. That started isolating a lot of voters. It started Absolutely. isolating people on the left and on the and right. And Biden, instead of sticking with a blue-collar worker, went to them. Why? Well, a lot of them have money, too. <laughs> a lot of the intellectual class has become very wealthy, and they give a lot of money in campaigns. How's that for some new information? A deep dive into the politics of today with... And I'm saying this in a nonpartisan sense. I'm saying this as a political scientist. And it's going to kill the Democratic Party, and the Republican Party's getting killed because they're losing the women's soccer moms. WBT. And I said, she's taking a victory lap, and we, we beat her so badly she was... But Ron beat her also. You know, Ron came in second, and he left. She came in third, and she's still hanging around. The other thing, she only got 25% of the Republican votes. I don't know if you saw that. Tremendous numbers of independents came out because in this state, because you have a governor that doesn't frankly know what the hell he's doing, in this state, in the Republican primary, they accept Democrats to vote. In fact, I think they had 4,000 Democrats, Democrats before October 6th. They already voted. Now, they're only voting because they want to make me look as bad as possible. Because if you remember, we won in 2016. And if you really remember, if you want to play it straight, we also won in 2020. President Trump last night in New Hampshire after he beat Nikki Haley 54 to 43. You can't tell the difference. When you hear Trump and Biden's speeches, Biden slurring and Trump talking about this and that and this and the current governor and... It's like ADD times 100. Interrupting himself. They both interrupt themselves. It's, they both sound like I can't tell between a Saturday Night Live skit and the two of them talking. I'm betting you won't stop caring. <laughs> that you won't get distracted. And I'm betting come November, we will vote on a record numbers. And when we do that, we'll teach... Donald Trump, a valuable lesson. Ugh. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. What did he say? <laughs> Don't mess with the women. Valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. Unless you want to what? Look, lesson. We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't. Mess with the minute on America unless you want to get the benefit. It sounds like he's a volume. Look. That's our president. And the other guy, I'm not I've got I'm sure I've got people mad at me right now saying what I'm saying, but I'm speaking the truth. If you can't handle the truth, they sound both like second graders. No, no, no. But we can't let that happen. You know, you have to have people that speak up. I said I can go up and I can say to everybody, oh, thank you for the victory. It's wonderful. It's what or I can go up and say, who the hell was the imposter that went up on the stage before and like claimed a victory? She did very poorly, actually. She had to win. The governor said she's going to win. She's going to win. She's going to win. Then she she failed badly. Now, oh, stop. Stop. She's going to win. She's going to win. Can you imagine? I mean, sorry, I grew up. I'm the old grandpa in this room. I grew up listening to presidents. Eisenhower was my first president, then Kennedy, then Johnson. The list goes on Nixon. Reagan. Reagan. Could you hear Reagan talking like that? And Reagan had humor, too. Trump is funny. 
and the, the media doesn't get his humor, but he is cruel too. I mean, he's just brutal. Dis, what he he calls DeSantis one name, and then the very next day when he beats DeSantis, he's like, "I'll call him DeSantis from now on." It's 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 like a second grade bully. That's that's how far down our society has gone. One guy who slurs his words, and another guy who acts like the play playground bully. I've just never seen anything like it. And and what's happened is the Republican Party is losing primarily women. And I'm not talking about the eclectic left women. I'm talking about the women who have families, college educated, who now most women, women are outnumbering men two to one going to college. And they want to have kids, but they don't want to hear their president cuss and swear and insult people because they don't want their kids to do it. Just like we didn't want Clinton to do some of the things he was doing. We actually do consider the president to be a role model for our youth. They don't have to be perfect, but we don't want them to embarrass us. So that's the swing vote. Now, the other swing vote is the working men and women of America, which the Democrats have lost lately. They've even lost the union worker, which Trump has got part of it, and even the Hispanic voter. But because the eclectic left, have taken the David from Asheville's have taken over the Democratic Party. David is here today for once. I mean, David with his, you know, ponytail, he's 62 years old, bald, and he still has a ponytail. Smokes a joint, <laughs> and he's trying to tell us what America is all about. Now, I don't want to go to Ukraine. He told me we got a break for traffic, so uh, Boomer. let's do that. Boomer Von Cannon. Change your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't changed that Grateful Dead T-shirt in two years. <laughs> Give me a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and he still has the munchies. WBT. Points back to you praising her, and now she says that you're using a nickname based on her uh, given name, Nimrata. You called her Nimbra in a post the other day. Why do you do that? Well, I do that with a lot of people, like Hutchinson. I mean, he was polling at zero for about one year, and I called him, rather than Asa, I called him Ada Hutchinson, and it just felt good to me. And with her, it's just something that came. It's a little bit of a takeoff on her name, you know, her name wherever she may come from, but uh, it's just what a little bit of a What do you mean by that? What do you mean? Uh, it's a little bit of a takeoff. I look at her name. I look at a lot of people. You know, I do a lot of uh, names for people, like Pocahontas. Uh, she said, my mother said I look like an Indian, so I started calling her Pocahontas. Some people say I'm very good at that, but uh, I can't get into too many because many of those people that I named like that are Republicans, and we don't want to bring that up. But, uh, no, it's just uh, it's a takeoff. I have fun with it. And sometimes, to tell you the truth, it's a uh, very effective tool. That's the other night uh, as he was getting set for New Hampshire. He is exactly right. It is a very effective tool to appeal to the base. It's humorous. The base takes it, doesn't take it literally. That's, That's why it's an effective tool. Where it's an ineffective tool is that some people do take it literally and find it offensive. And I'm not talking about offensive in a woke manner. I'm talking about offensive of none of us like to be called a nickname that don't want, want to be called in a public setting. You know, if someone called my, my wife a nickname in a public setting that she'd find kind of insulting or mm-hmm. embarrassing, 
you know, what would I want to do as a husband? I'd, I'd smack down that person, even though I'm a very nonviolent person. And if I didn't, she'd go, I'm leaving you if you're letting that happen. Or she would do the smack down. So that's the problem. It's very effective with a certain audience, but it's very ineffective with another audience that may determine this election. It, it reminds me of uh, when I laugh at, I used to, when editorial cartoons were real popular, yeah, when people read the newspaper. Loved those. When the editorial cartoons were about other people, especially other people, politicians I didn't like, I laugh my head off. But when it's done about you and it's insulting or it conveys something inaccurate about your ethics, mm. uh, you take it personal. Probably so, the only person who didn't was Jesse Helms. Jesse Helms used to collect them all. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? When they're talking about someone else, it's okay. But if when they're talking about you like that, you don't get any friends in the long term. And that's the dilemma that Trump had in the in the workplace, in the White House. He'd give nicknames to all his workers and, you know, like to his old chief of staff who was a general in the Army. And he goes, you're calling me what? <laughs> uh, sorry, sir. I'm not going to put up with that. You know, so some people could take it and other people go, meet me out in the alley, buddy. I mean, see, see what I'm saying about respect and courtesy and dignity versus informality? Not everyone reacts the same. I'm not talking woke either. He steps all over the woke stuff, which needed to be stepped on. But when your elections are determined by 1% and 2%, those are the people in the middle who are going, is this what I really want in the presidency? One guy who can't complete a sentence and can barely walk up the stairs and has to be on teleprompter and can't read the teleprompter. The other guy who's ADD and interrupts himself every 10 seconds and then calls people names. Governors, like he went after Sununu, mm. the governor. I kicked your, you know, what? it's almost like listening to sports radio. You know, where they talk about the quarterback who lost or, you know, when you ESPN, sports radio, they say anything they want about these players and they, they forget that they're human beings and well, they have families. The guy in Buffalo who missed the kick on Sunday night has gotten death threats and he took down his social media wow. sites because of what he's hearing from fans up in Buffalo. And, you know, I had Trump do that to me in a setting of 2000 people. All of a sudden I'm at a table. No more than 15 yards away, and all of a sudden Trump, Trump starts calling me names. And I'm with people that respect me, and I respected them. And you're going, should I let him do that to me? Or should I stand up and go, who in the blank do you think you are to insult and disrespect me? But to the audience, his base, the people wearing his jersey, just like it's – if you're an Oakland Raider fan versus Philadelphia Eagle fan, you could call the quarterback of Philadelphia anything you want. We're all hypocrites in this game. <laughs> all right. See, when he wrote this song, when Paul McCartney wrote this song, John Lennon actually thought he was talking about Yoko Ono, his wife. Get back. I like how you titled Get this back. It's pretty good. Get back, Yoko. Get back to where you belong. And John Lennon, his best friend, is like going, wait a minute, you may, you may be crossing the line right here. And we will be back next week.